Hi everyone, and welcome to Documentation Station. I'm Steve Welton. Thank you for joining me here. For those of you who are new to this podcast, I'm a consultant who works with behavioral health clinicians in support of their clinical documentation standards, preparations for audits, as well as focused on a wide range of other topics important to their practice. If you want to learn more about me or my consulting practice, you can find out more at weltonconsulting.com. I hope you enjoy today's conversation and find it helpful. For today's episode, I thought I would shift gears a little bit and talk directly to those of you who are thinking about starting or have recently created, or maybe even in the joyful aftermath of taking your solo practice and creating a clinical group practice. If you're not in this group, hang with this conversation. I think it'll be a great topic for you as well. If you are on the creating a group practice path, first off, let me just acknowledge your bravery for taking this on. Know that there are a great many people out there in various parts of the behavioral health universe and beyond to assist and support you as you take on the various challenges that you have. There are a lot of pieces you need to pull together to make this dream a reality. Some of them you might understand implicitly through your own experiences, but many people will require at least some support and assistance to get from the starting line and into the deep waters of running an effective group practice. Now, I'm not going to try and talk about all the various topics related to starting a group practice, many of which I am not an expert in. I'm also, today at least, not going to talk about managing documentation standards. That will be a topic for another day. What I'm going to be focused on today is something you may or may not have considered yet. One of the more challenging early parts of the process of becoming a clinical group. And yet, many groups don't start down this path at any great level until they are well past the starting line. Of course, I'm talking about the creation of the policy and procedure manual. Uh, of course? Well, so maybe not of course, but at some level at least it should be. When you start a group, whether you're hiring clinicians or they're going to be independent contractors or they're going to be friends of yours, and whether you're going to have four or 24 clinicians in your group, effectiveness in running that group hinges, at least at some level, on people generally responding to activities in the group in a similar way and being accountable to how the business of the practice operates. 
The Policy and Procedure Manual, or PNPs as most people call it, uh, provides guidance on how your group will operate, how it will make decisions, and how everyone will work together to support the goals of the group. It answers some of the key questions, like who runs the group? Who will be making the decisions and how will they get made? Are decisions discussed? Is there a committee for that? If so, who is on that committee and, or how are they selected? Or are all the decisions simply being made by the leader of the group and then communicated to everyone else? Do you have or will you have a mission statement? Will you have an oversight board? Will you have a consulting psychiatrist involved? Is there a specific population you'll be treating? Again, are the clinicians hired? Are they contracted? Or are they both? If you have an administrative staff, what will they do? And what will they be responsible for? What qualifications do they need to have to do their job? Who hires them? How are they being paid? There are a lot of decisions, big and small, which need to be made at the outset. I'm sure several of the ones I've just mentioned are things that you've dealt with or have thought about along the path towards building out your vision. Because without many of those decisions being made, it's kind of hard to open the doors. Now, one of the conversations I've had multiple times, both previously as a clinical auditor and then more recently as a consultant, is related to the whole notion of why. Why, why do I need to think about a policy procedure manual for my group at this stage? Is my group big enough for that? The policy and procedure manual is an essential part of any organization. The policies and procedures help to ensure your organization remains compliant with laws and regulations, of course, but above that, it's your roadmap that keeps your group on the right path for good and competent day-to-day -day operations. As you get started in your new venture, you don't want to be in a position of having to make consistent and pivotal decisions about how your group is going to do something without some sort of a plan established ahead of time. Probably the worst time to write a policy or a procedure, though it often happens this way, is after you've already had to decide on how to take a specific action and are now having to live with the outcome of that. Just behind that, in the levels of bad timing, is sorting out what to do in the middle of a crisis. There are many things you should have sorted out and communicated to everyone before the day you need it. There are also things you want to make sure everyone does the same way. Simple stuff, like 
All clinicians should have a hard and fast rule about not coming into the office if they have a fever of 101, or pink eye for that matter. Neither should the client, by the way. Clinicians should not have the names and contact information of their clients on their unsecured cell phones. If a clinician has to cancel an appointment for any reason, there should be a consistent way that that gets communicated and documented. How to address a situation where the parent of a child client passes out in the lobby and hundreds of other scenarios like weather interruptions of services to what happens if someone brings a weapon into the office can require different sorts of responses and actions based on what it is and how your office operates. But However the office should respond in the full range of professional office situations, having a written plan and making sure people understand what that plan is, or at the very least where the plans are kept so they can look them up when they need them, makes a big difference in how the culture operates. It creates a clear line of accountability to everyone in your group by developing guidelines for how actions are taken and how decisions are made and who makes them. So I remember working in a group practice early on in my clinical career that did not have a policy and procedure manual. It making, making everyday decisions as a clinician was chaotic and ultimately meant that every decision that happened was a top-down sort of action made inconsistently by the program director. And the program director wasn't always available, so people just struggled making basic decisions about pretty much anything. At one point, the program and clinical directors finally decided, with some encouragement from the staff, uh, that a policy manual be created. So they, they brought in a consultant who led us through a series of conversations which led to the creation of a manual, which really positively changed the culture. Your PNPs should have a lot of stuff in it across the broad range of topics. They may include your employee manual, dress code, vacation days, annual reviews, sorts of stuff, the interviewing process, background check processes, and ensuring they have an active license. You may also want to have a process of evaluating the Health and Human Services uh, OIG reviews if your group is big enough for that. But as I hope you're already picking up, your PNPs are about a lot more than that. It's also about the operations mechanisms which drive how services are delivered. Like, what do assessments look like? 
What exclusionary criteria do you have? What is your fire safety plan? How do you manage client complaints? These are things you want to have thought about and have a plan for before they are needed. I'm reminded of a site visit audit I completed a number of years ago when I was a clinical auditor. It was a review of a longer-term residential facility related to contracting with them. So it was a standard audit. As I was reviewing their PMPs, I was struck about how amazing and thorough their disaster plan was. It was really specific and thoughtful and addressed a wide range of contingencies. Maybe maybe one of the best disaster plans I have ever seen, and that includes really big hospital system plans. Oh, what is a disaster plan? It's a plan you have of how to provide a continuity of services if something terrible happens, you know, like a disaster, which would otherwise disrupt those services. So I was having my exit interview with the program director and I commented on how wonderful his disaster plan was and that I'm not sure I had ever seen one quite so well constructed. And he told me, that it was constructed in the aftermath of a massive fire they had experienced a few years before that burned the entire residential facility to the ground. Now, no one was harmed, but they didn't have a plan at that time. Now, it's not that they didn't have a bad plan or an incomplete plan. They had no plan. They had not thought about where their residents might go if they were displaced, how services would remain functioning, who would contact family members or payers or state licensing or anything. They had to end up doing that all on the fly. And it had quite literally been a disaster. By his admission, none of it had been run well because Every decision had to be made under the veil of the intense anxiety created by circumstance of the disaster itself. So while the facility was getting rebuilt, uh, the, the few of the staff that remained, they didn't have services because they didn't have a contingency plan, so they didn't really need to have much staff. They worked together on a number of initiatives, including building the disaster plan I had the chance to review. Someone once said, experience is something that happens to you that you wish to God happened to somebody else. PNPs may be strengthened through experience, but we don't need to wait until bad things happen to the plans together. Believe it or not, there were clinics who actually had a pandemic plan on how to communicate and continue to operate in the face of a widespread disease transmission prior to 2020 and the realities of COVID. They knew what they were going to do, how they were going to reach out to every client and every clinician in the practice. 
We're going to provide continuity of services and coordinate with insurance companies. So as you are putting together your group and thinking about what it's going to look like, see beyond the furnishings, which are also important, and consider how it will operate and how it will respond to things. Let me close this week with another story. It's another auditing story. One of the worst types of audits I had to do were what we called urgent quality audits. They are completed when a terrible event occurs, often clinical, within a practice or facility where there is at least some ongoing concern that clients or patients might still be at imminent risk. So I had one to complete several years ago, and even though at this point I was mostly leading the department, um, I decided to take the audit myself since it was right around Christmas time, it was relatively close geographically, and most of my department was on year-end vacation, and the audit needed to be done immediately. So I scheduled the audit for a couple of days later and went. The details don't matter so much in this case, but what made this an urgent quality matter? Uh, I met with the practice owner to start the review. And right out of the box, she expressed just how much she wanted to thank me and appreciated the work we had previously done to be prepared for the worst. So I was confused, but I asked why. And she said, maybe you don't remember the last time you were here. It was when we were first opening and you were reviewing our practice. You reviewed our policies and procedures and had commented on how we needed to have a Sentinel events policy. And we had discussed how to put one together and how you were so emphatic about it. So while I didn't think I'd ever have to use it, I, I put it together anyway. And because I don't like to do things halfway, we put together a really good plan. So she never thought she'd use it. She really didn't. She really didn't think she would need it. But here we were, two years after they were open. And in all of the terribleness of this thing that happened, she admitted that she couldn't imagine how badly things would have gone if they had not invested the time in putting that plan together. Policies and procedures will always feel like plans you mostly have for things that will never happen. And you always hope that this is true. Of course, some of the things in there will always happen, right? There, there will be things in there that will be routinely used and you will want those things too. But the parts behind that glass, you know, that glass that says, in case of emergency, break glass, you hope you never have to use it. But if and when you do, 
you'll be glad you invested the time in protecting that dream of yours, that practice of yours, that you're putting your sweat and energy into building. This is Documentation Station.